Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. Well, if you'd like to open up your Bibles or your phones to Exodus 33, we'll uh, begin there in just a minute. This message is a part of a series called The Story, and it's God's story. And we started off with creation, and then we looked at the fall of man and all of the consequences that that entailed, but how God had promised even then to begin to rescue. So even as early as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God promises to send a Savior into the world that would be a snake crusher, that would put Satan down and, and, and act, take away his power from that point on so that we don't have to fear sin, we don't have to fear death. Christ is going to take those things from us. And then we saw that promise through the line of Seth, and then through Noah, and then through Shem, and then through Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and then the 12 sons of Jacob, and then going into Egypt. And so they were there in bondage for 400 years. And so the last message we looked at was the first uh, 18 chapters of Exodus, which was the Exodus. <laughs> God used Moses and Aaron to help the children of Israel uh, come out of Egypt, and he, he showed his strength and his power through the plagues and defeated Pharaoh and his army and all the gods of Egypt. And so now Moses and the people, after three months of travel, they've come to Mount Sinai, and God is going to begin to speak to them. They're going to begin to experience the presence of God. And so four ways that I see in, in these 60 chapters that they, by, by the way, we're not going to read it verse by verse. I saw a couple people starting to sweat. It's kind of like, wow, not to worry. We'll get through them, okay? So the first way they experience God's presence is by heeding God's call. Does that make sense? If, if, if jo Joshua, if I want to experience his presence and he calls to me, then he's calling and I have to respond that I have to come. And when I do that, I'm experiencing his presence. We're in the presence of one another. And so God calls. And I, I want to actually go back to Exodus chapter 3 because this was the initial call of God on Moses' life. Okay, you may remember this passage. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 3 of Exodus. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, otherwise known as Ruel, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, also known as Mount Sinai. And the angel of the Lord, also known as the pre-incarnate Christ, appeared to him in a flame of fire, also known as a flame of fire. Okay, I just want to see who's tracking with me. <laughs> Out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God, he, to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. First thing God calls us to is to himself. Isn't that great? God doesn't call us to a place first or to a task first. He calls us to himself. That ought to be enough of a truth to carry you for a while. 
Don't even begin to think about going to a place or a person or taking on a task of ministry or calling until you go and sit before the Lord. Like Mary, sit at his feet. He's calling you to himself. That's the most important calling. Now, everybody listen to me here just a minute. Heads up. Look, look me right in the eye. Let me know you're listening. The first thing God wants to call you to this morning is he wants you to call to come to him through Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. No man experiences the presence of the Father without coming through me. If you've never heeded that call, then that's the first thing you need to do this morning. You need to come to Jesus and ask him to be your Savior and your Lord. So listen, he may be calling you that this morning. Now look at verse 10. So God says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh. Okay, there's a person. God's calling him to a person. That you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. There's the task. Take, you go to the people, you go to Pharaoh, and the task is, I want you to take the people from Egypt and take them out of Egypt. That's the task. Okay, so God calls Moses to himself. He calls him to a people, to a person, to a task. And then he sa- but Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I would say, who are you to question the words of God? That's what I would say to Moses. Now, I'm being a little hard on him, and there's been lots of times I'm sure God's called me to things that I didn't obey. But he's sitting there and arguing about going to Pharaoh with God Almighty. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, so he said, God says to Moses, I will be with you. What is it that gives us courage to take on the task that God's calling us to? His presence. I will go with you. In other words, you you never go alone. You see how important that is? God calls you to himself And then he says, I'm going to send you out. But when you take a step in that direction to go follow up on my task that I've called you to, I'm going to be stepping right beside you. Like Jesus said, get in yoke with me. Let's let's pull together. That's what God wants to do. I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, then you shall serve God on this mountain. And when we go to Exodus 19, that's what God did. He brought them out of Egypt, and he brought them to Mount Horeb, known as Mount Sinai, and that should have been a sign to Moses that, wow, God is who he is, he said he is, and he did what he said he was going to do. He said he was going to bring me here as a sign that he was actually the one who sent me, and that's what God did. Now go to Exodus 19, and let's look at the first six verses here of Exodus 19. On the third new moon, in other words, a little over three months, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him. Here's another calling. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians 
and how I bore you on eagles' wings. In other words, I was with you, I bore you, I took you out of Egypt, and I brought you to myself. See how close God stays as he's taking them from one place to the other. He says, I bore you on eagles' wings from Egypt to here, but really what I did was I brought you to myself. I'm hoping that I, after I preach this message to myself, I'm hoping that I will never forget to slow down long enough that before I take a step in any direction to do anything in my life, I acknowledge the presence of God and say, God, are you with me if we go do this? Is this what you would want in my life? Because if not, it's wasted. And I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm starting to think about the number of my days as we read about in Psalm 139 and thinking, I don't want to waste a day. I don't want to run off on my own tangent, my own direction, my own agenda. I want to be like Moses. God, if you're not going with me in this, then I'm not going. I just want to do what you want to do and I want to be with you. God has to bring us to himself before he can walk us to the next step, okay? Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. I love that. Among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me, listen to this, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Do those remind you of a, a passage in 1 Peter? Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. The Lord speaking to us, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Talking about the body of Christ, both Jew and Gentile. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Don't you love it when you read it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament? God doesn't change. His purposes never change. He's always wanted his people to be a kingdom of priests, to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, that all of us have that close relationship with the Lord, just like a, a priest would or a prophet that we represent the people to God and we represent God to the people. God wants us all to be, to be that close to him and to experience his calling and his presence. Uh, look at verse 20 in this same chapter in Exodus 19. Exodus 19, 20. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And that happened over and over again during those 11 months and, and Moses would go up and God would give him a portion of the law and then he'd go down to the people and then Mo God would call him up. So he was with, the, he took God's presence to the people and then he went up on the mountain and, and was there with the Lord and the Lord taught him and gave him the law. So anyway, Moses and the nation of Israel also experienced God's presence by obeying God's word. See, when God calls us to himself and he calls us to a person, a people, a task, then he begins to speak to us and to talk about who he is and what he's calling us to. And so we have to not only heed the call, but we have to obey 
his voice, obey his word. So in chapter 20, this sort of begins the law as it's given throughout these next uh, chapters in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. But let me just read the first 17 verses. You'll be familiar with these. These are the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God always reminds them about who he is and what he did. And as you read, you know, the scriptures, you'll be reminded about who God is and and what he did for us through Christ. And based on that, then he says, Imitate me, and this is the kind of people I want you to be. This is how you walk in a manner worthy of the calling of God from Ephesians chapter 4. God calls, now walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And so he gives the Ten Commandments. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. It's just me. Put me before you. Don't put anything else in front of you. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, male servant, female servant, livestock, sojourner, anybody within your gates, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I think we heard something about Sabbath day recently, didn't we? Wasn't too long ago. Oh, that was just last week. That was a good word. Thanks, son. So those, those verses, those first four verses then basically deal with man's relationship to God. Now these last this last of the six, the six last commandments of the Ten Commandments deal with man's relationship with man. So in verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is in your neighbors. So God begins to give Moses and the people of Israel the law. And part of experiencing his presence is obeying God's word. And so I'll just unpack it just briefly. Uh, As you go through Leviticus and Numbers, some of the things you'll read, uh, like in Leviticus 11, Uh, You'll see God's instruction on what are clean animals and unclean animals, what they can eat, what they can't eat, all right? So there's dietary restrictions. Uh, In chapter 23, uh, it talks about the feasts of the Lord. There's seven feasts, and the first four feasts in the spring represent or symbolize the Lord's uh, first advent when he came. And then the last three feasts that are in the fall those are shadowing or foreshadowing of Christ's second return. And so it's kind of interesting as you study those feasts to see 
how Jesus fulfilled those first four feasts already in his first advent, and then how he will fulfill those last three in the fall uh, in his second advent. So if you had ever done a study on the feasts, you might want to try that. Uh, Leviticus 26 and 27, he talks about the blessings of obedience and the consequences of disobedience. God just saying, do you want to be blessed? Then obey me. If you want to have difficulties and if you want to learn the hard way, then, you know, don't. But you'll be better off if you are obedient. Then we find things like in Numbers uh, chapter 3 and 4, the duties of the Levites. There were three different basic categories of Levites, and, and two of them, for the most part, ended up carrying the tabernacle and the furnishings and all those kinds of things. And then um, I think, what did that third group do? I lost track of what the third group did. But anyway, they did something important. Everybody has a role, right? So we experience God's presence by heeding God's call to himself, to a place, to people, to a task. Uh, we experience his presence as we obey his word. Uh, they also experience his presence by making a place for him to dwell. So go to chapter 25. God was asking them to build a tabernacle, which is sort of a traveling temple. It was, it was made of lesser material so it could be packed up and carried from place to place. And they ended up, the tabernacle went, you know, 40 years traveling around in the wilderness. And here's just some instruction in chapter 25, uh, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. Isn't that cool? God's always loved cheerful givers. He wants your heart to be moved to give to him. So for those whose heart moves them, that you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Why does God want them to make a place for him? So that he can dwell in their midst. He wants to be present with them. And so he's asking for a sanctuary, a place of worship, a place of prayer a place that represents his presence with the people, a place where he can speak to Moses, a place where some of these sacrifices and offerings, especially on the Day of Atonement once a year where the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies and sprinkles blood for himself and then for the people and they're atoned for. So let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture so you may make it. So then in the next few chapters, from chapter 25 all the way through uh, chapter 40, you'll see that God gives instructions for various things. And I'm going to come over here. We've got a little diagram, which might be a little small for you to see, but we'll do our best here. Uh, so this is, the, this is the outlying courtyard, the tent that went all the way around like that. Okay, so it's just a big curtain that went around and made the courtyard. As you came in, you had the brazen altar where the, the offerings were all, uh, like the burnt offerings and sin offerings. Animals were killed, blood was sprinkled 
Um, sometimes it was a burnt offering, so it was burnt. The labor where the priests would wash and cleanse themselves. And then you go into the tabernacle proper. And as you go in, you have the table of showbread, all right, six, six round loaves in each of these two piles. And then you have the menorah or the lampstand and the altar of incense that was burned by the high priest. And then you have the Holy of Holies uh, with the Ark of the Covenant and the uh, cherubim over that. So that, that basically was the tabernacle. And so that's all described in those chapters, uh, Exodus 25 uh, through 40. And then let me just read you a little bit here from the end of chapter 40 uh, on when they finished it, starting with verse 33. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. It's also called the tent of meeting. It's called sanctuary, tabernacle, a tent of meeting where God and Moses and the people met. Uh, so the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You talk about a thick presence of God. He could not even go in. God's presence was so thick and real. I mean, that just had to be an uh, unbelievable sight, I would think. I've always, I've always prayed to the Lord, just sort of a selfish desire. It's like, Lord, I'd I, I love to see you fill a worship space that I'm in sometime, or kind of like when they prayed and the, and the foundations shook. You know, Lord, I'd, I'd love to pray and feel those foundations. But anyway, we walk by faith, not by sight, right? But anyway, it filled the temple. Glory, glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from the temple, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. In other words, when God picked up the cloud representing his presence, and it moved, they moved. When God stayed put, they stayed put. God, and his, he brought, in, God brought his people to himself, and he said, stick with me. Experience me. Come to me. When I call, come. When I speak, hear and obey. And then we'll get to, we'll get to how uh, uh, New Covenant believers uh, exercise this in terms of a place to dwell. The last thing with the children of Israel is they experience God's presence by accepting God's plan of forgiveness, which was through offerings and sacrifices. Blood had to be shed in order for forgiveness to be offered. Uh, but just keep this in mind. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by what? By faith, the people of old received their commendation or their approval. Don't think that they were saved by keeping the law. They were saved by putting faith in, the, in God's plan at that point in time. It's always been faith that God wanted to believe in him, to believe in his word, to accept his way of relating to each of us. 
So really, they were kind of in the same boat as we are. God gave them a plan for receiving atonement and forgiveness, and they were to follow that plan. So as you take a look at like uh, Hebrews, or I'm sorry, not Hebrews, Leviticus 1 through 5, uh, you'll see a number of offerings described, a burnt offering, uh, a sin offering. Many times they, were, they went kind of hand in hand, the burnt offering and the sin offering. Then a grain offering, a peace offering, and a guilt offering. And if you look at Leviticus chapter 6, let's just read a few verses about the guilt offering so you can sort of see what that consisted of. How many of you have read through Leviticus and enjoyed it? Thank you. I, got, I see that hand. All right. <laughs> yes, a child shall lead them. Le Leviticus sometimes can be a little bit of a challenge because it goes into all these different offerings, and many times it repeats itself in terms of the process that, you know, was applied in terms of, you know, what they, they did to apply the blood into the right earlobe and the right thumb and the right big toe and all those kind of things. You're thinking, huh? But... Anyway, I would, I would recommend that you read through it because it does emphasize just how holy God is, just how exacting God is, and then to recognize in Christ, you don't have to do all of this because he died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, bring us into God's presence. But anyway, let me read uh, Leviticus 6. The Lord said to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith, see how faith is involved there? Commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security, in other words, a financial dealing, or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it. Sheep? Oh, no, I never saw any sheep. You lost a sheep? Oh, that's too bad. That kind of thing. Uh, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby. That's kind of a sad line. In any of all the things that people do and sin thereby. If he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that was found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full. And then listen to this. Shall add a fifth to it. In other words, restore what you took or didn't give back or whatever, and then take a fifth of what you what might be on and, and, and give that to him as well as a compensation. And then give it to him who it belongs to on the day he realizes his guilt, and he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. In other words, I'm guilty, and so here's my offering. Uh, to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry, accept this as my offering to you and extend your forgiveness to me. And so the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. All right, so that just gives you a little flavor for some of the things. All right, so let's think about this now. I want to now cover some questions with new covenant believers in mind. In other words, talking about us. How do we experience God's presence? Well, first of all, by heeding God's call. Same way. God called to Moses. Moses heeded it. God called to the nation. The nation heeded it. So we heed God's call. 
Uh, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, come to me. In other words, he's calling to all of us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Where is true rest found? In the presence of Christ. That's where you'll get rest. I mean, it's one thing to take a nap and get rest or to sleep at night well and get rest, but real rest really is when you're in the presence of God, presence of Christ. And then he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble, lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a lot to unpack in that, but I'll just say this, that when I decide that I'm going to stop pulling my yoke, my agenda, my plans, and I'm just going to get in the presence of Christ, and I'm going to ask him, Lord, can we do this together? Is this what you're asking me to do? Life is a lot simpler. It's not as burdensome. Because sin and the world and our flesh just weighs us down, which is exactly what the enemy wants to see done. He wants you to be bound and in bondage. Bondage to yourself, bondage to sinful habits. But God wants you to be free. To be free means that you're walking with the Lord. That's freedom. And Jesus said, that's really a very light load compared to what you're trying to do now. But he says, come to me. And then once we come to Christ, then he says, follow me. That's the next call. Come to me, learn from me, be with me, follow me. So he says in Mark chapter 1, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So he called the disciples to himself. He calls you to himself. And then he calls you to a task. And then he may call you to a place. And then he may call you to a person or a people group or a neighborhood. See, God's always calling. And he always wants it to begin with coming to him and then him and you going together and going to the people and places and things that he has in mind for you. And those always work out great because great, the definition of great and successful is fitting in with God's purposes and plans and, and being available and doing what he's asked you to do. That's faithfulness. That's, that's greatness. That is success. No matter what it looks like, you know, from an earthly standpoint. When you're in yoke with Christ, then you're good. So here's a question. How is God calling you this morning? Is he calling you to himself? Is he calling you to a person, a place, a task, a certain task or opportunity of service? I would basically say, hunker down with Jesus until you, you have a sense of that call. Get under the cloud and sit there until you know God says, move, and then move. But don't just try to conjure up your own version of reality or what God might be calling you to. Let God speak to you. Have faith that God will speak to you. He will. He will speak to you. Be in prayer. Be in the power of the Spirit. Be in His Word. Be in fellowship with other believers. God still speaks to people. 
And then he wants us to obey his word. That's how we experience his presence when we obey his word. Listen to John 14. If you love me, if you love me, and keep my commandments, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, another helper like Christ, in other words, the Holy Spirit, to be with you, how long? Forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. When you're committed to hearing God's word, loving him in such a way that you'll keep those commandments, then the Holy Spirit then rises up within you and you are filled with that spirit and he is indwelling you and you are in the presence of Almighty God. And then I love this verse in 1 John chapter 1 where he says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship, in other words, if we say I'm in the presence of God while we walk in the darkness in disobedience, we're a liar and we don't practice the truth. The way you experience fellowship with the Lord is by obeying the Lord. When you're out of fellowship, then he steps back. It's, the relationship hasn't been severed, but the fellowship has been severed. Just like when you offend somebody, you need to go to them and say, man, I'm sorry for hurting you, for offending you. Would you please forgive me? And then fellowship is restored. And so as God is calling us to obey his commandments, when we don't, we need to repent. We need to feel that sense of conviction by the God in me and then repent of that and ask for restoration, and God will give it. So we need to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word, as James says. Or it says in Matthew 7, when you hear my word and you obey it, it's like a man who builds his house on a rock. But when you hear my word and don't act upon it, you're like a man who builds his house on the sand. Hearing is one thing. Obeying and doing is a whole new thing. And when we do that, you experience God's presence. And then the Israelites made a place for God. We don't necessarily have to make a place because where, where does God abide now? Where, where is the temple? Where is the tabernacle? It's us. But we have to make a space for God. We have to open our heart. We have to open our lives, and we have to believe and receive the Holy Spirit, Christ, into our life, so we have to make space. And then once he's in there, we can't let our days be so cluttered and, and crowded that we're not making space for Christ to come in and sit on the throne and rule and reign in our lives. So we have to make space for him, not only initially for salvation, but every single day in terms of our sanctification. Uh, Ephesians 1.13 says this, in him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When we believe and receive, the Holy Spirit comes in. He's in our space now. We are his. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple, is the tabernacle of the Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's saying, I'm opening my life up, Lord, and 
I'm creating space for you. I'm giving you your rightful place on the throne of my heart. That should be a daily thing, folks. It should be. I mean, even if the Lord doesn't bring some, you know, grievous sin to your mind that you've committed that you have to confess, I mean, every day you should wake up and say, Lord, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We're all prone to that. So get up in the morning, instead of stepping on your feet, slide down on your knees and say, Lord, this is your day that you've made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it, and I'm going to live it for you. I know it's a gift. So I'm opening up, I'm making a place for you. Sit on the throne and guide me, and let's do this together today. Try it, you'll like it. Uh, And then lastly, we experience God's presence by accepting God's plan of forgiveness. And his name is Jesus. That's his plan. It used to be the blood of goats and rams and bulls, but now it's the blood of Christ once for all. So listen to these two passages in Hebrews. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Sorry. Wardrobe malfunction. Since then we have a a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Because of Christ, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, because of his advocacy and his intercession for us in heaven, we can with confidence go into the Holy of Holies and know that our sins have been forgiven. We've been washed clean. We've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Because of Christ, you never have to hesitate about going into the presence of your Father. He sees you through Christ. That's how he views you. We sang one of the songs where love and justice meet at the cross or where mercy and justice or however you might want to say it. Justice was satisfied through Christ's death. Mercy was extended. Grace was extended. Forgiveness was extended. And then Hebrews 7 compares the old covenant with the new by saying, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope, that's Christ, is introduced through which we draw near to God. So a couple last thoughts. John 14, 6, Jesus was speaking to Thomas, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want God's presence? You get Christ's presence. You heed his call. You come to him. You obey him. Um, You accept and receive what he's done for you. And, this, and then 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might 
bring us to God. What was the whole point? Why did Jesus die? Why did he suffer? Why did he die? Because he wanted us to be able to come into the presence of the Father and experience the glory that he and the Father have shared from eternity past. Folks, there's just no better offer on this planet. No better offer. Christ did that all for you and me so that we could experience the presence of God. It's through Jesus that we come to know God and experience his presence. I want to read you, just as we kind of prepare, uh, as I end this message and prepare for communion, I just want to read this uh, devotional thought. It's entitled, The Call of God. As a young child, Samuel lived in the temple with his mentor, Eli the priest. One night, after hearing his name called, the boy ran to ask Eli what he wanted. The priest, however, hadn't spoken, so he sent the child back to bed. This happened two more times before Eli realized that the Lord was the one calling the boy. Then he instructed Samuel to respond by asking the Lord what he wanted to say. Almighty God still speaks to us today. For example, we start hearing him when he calls us to salvation. The Holy Spirit makes us aware that something is missing in our life, and then he points us to Jesus Christ as the answer. Without the Savior, we're lost and hopeless. Everyone is born with a sinful nature that's bent away from God. The Father, who is holy and perfect, requires holiness in his presence. Therefore, the penalty for sin is death, eternal separation from him. But God loves us. So to correct that situation, Jesus came to earth, lived the perfect life, and died as a substitute for mankind. He took the penalty for our sin. Salvation is the greatest gift. To receive it, all we have to do is to trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Then he abides with us and continues to speak, gently guiding and encouraging us toward righteousness. Have you sensed the Heavenly Father speaking to you? If so, don't delay. Ask him to forgive your sin, then accept Christ's substitutionary sacrifice on your behalf and choose to follow him. Share your decision with someone, a trusted Christian friend or a pastor, so that you can have guidance on this beautiful new journey. Only God knows our hearts. I mean, I was in, I was in church almost every Sunday in my life up until I finally received Christ uh, at the age of 19. If someone would have asked me before that point in time, are you, a, are you a Christian? I would have said yes. And if they said, what would you base that on? Well, I've been in church all my life. I'm a halfway decent person. I don't do a lot of real, real bad things. But it wasn't until I got to college and got involved in a Bible study through the Navigator Ministry that I came to understand that, no, it's not just being a part of something. Well, it is part. <laughs> it's not just being a part of a church. It's being part of the body of Christ, and you come into that body through repentance, a conviction that you're a sinner separated from God, that you're lost and hopeless and lack meaning and purpose in life, and you finally come to that point where you say, Lord, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want your presence in my life, and so I receive you as my Savior and Lord and ask you to come in take control of my life and let me live for you 
Now, when I did that, I don't remember bells and whistles the next day, but I do remember over the next few days beginning to sense that my steps were a little bit lighter, that a burden had been lifted, that something had changed on the inside of me, and I had Christ in me, the hope of glory. To experience God's presence, you have to heed God's call. And then he'll show you and help you to obey his word and to follow him and to share him with others. You see, Jesus is the hero of the story. He will always be the hero of the story. So whatever you feel lacking in your life, go to him. Come into his presence and ask him to bless you. Please pray with me. Father, first of all, I confess to you the thousands and thousands of times that I have begun my day, begun a task, made decisions, offered instruction, and many, many other things without first sitting at your feet hearing your heartbeat, touching your hand, thanking you for the great salvation that you've given me and asking you to speak to me and to direct me. Father, thank you for your patience, your long-suffering, and I ask you, Holy Spirit, to help me to not run so fast that, that I'm leading you as opposed to following you. And I pray that for everyone here, Lord. Help us to hear your call to obey you, to give you our hearts, to make space for you every day so that you are glorified in the body that you purchased through the shed blood of Jesus. His name I pray, amen.